Good morning, everyone. It was so great to see the Abides do the welcome and uh, to worship. Thanks, Alex, Stacy, Jeff. Um, uh, that was good. That was good. Our text this week has a line where it says, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, have courage. For just as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. To which Paul might rightly have replied, really? I have to go through that again? Did you see how all this is working out? And who would blame him? If Paul were to base the effectiveness of his witness, his testimony in Jerusalem on the immediate and visible results, then to hell with it. Take all the places we've seen him go during our study this summer. We've watched, we've walked with Paul on his missionary journeys. And friends, it's hit or miss at best. And while we do take comfort and solace in the places where the word was received, so many places it just causes dissent and disruption, and nobody believes with that. If we were to justify Paul's ministry at the time that it's happening, based on visible results, um, I don't think we'd be talking about him today. I think we'd have to find someone else to be our poster child for what faithful witness looks like. But we understand it's not about visible results. It's not about the immediate gratification, right? Well, let's take a look at our text and see what we can find. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to read the text out loud where you are as it comes up on the screen. God, thank you for gathering us. Indeed, you have gathered us this morning across great distance and across neighborhoods. You've brought us together. And God, we ask that you now work by your Holy Spirit in us, through us, among us, for your glory, for the healing of our, of our country, of our people, and that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here where we are in this time right now as it is in heaven. Give us ears to hear, Lord, eyes to see, minds to discern, and hearts to love and obey. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're picking up the story. We have to remember that we started this story last week with Paul's encounter being brought before the, the Roman uh, consulate brings him before the Jewish leaders to try to figure out why all the uproar, what, what's all the fuss about. And we talked last week about how the real crux of the issue here was Paul saying that the Gentiles were welcome. And we talked about how difficult that would be for the Jewish hearers to welcome people that they had perceived for generations, and rightfully so, as enemies, as oppressors, as um, unclean, as um, just embodying everything that was counter to what they thought, thought was good or true or beautiful. And here you have this um, very prominent person within the faith um, 
advocating for them to be included as brothers and sisters. Uh, this continues, and I think what we see here is Paul basically, um, he sees that the argument's not going anywhere. He's trying to, ex um, to get himself out of that situation with what's going on. But it's worth taking again to look at the place where Paul is speaking as he's doing this. You see, he's speaking from a place of radical orientation to Jesus. Not party or ethnicity, not culture or nation, not race or faction. Um, Paul is, is deeply and solidly orienting himself in something else. And as a result, he says to the conservatives, the fundamentalist among them, he says, your problem is you're not conservative enough. You've stopped short of fully embracing the true meaning and scope of God's word and promise by your exclusionary tactics. And he says to the progressives, is your problem is you're not progressive enough. You're not liberal enough. You've stopped short of understanding the true radical nature of the kingdom among us and what that means for redemption of society instead of just accepting it as it is. He demands for them to look more deeply into the word, to listen more closely to the prophets. He's not arguing, forget the Torah, forget the Bible, forget your culture. He's saying, no, live up to your own standards. Look more deeply into it. Listen to the prophets and follow more sacrificially than this Messiah, Jesus. He calls for them to be baptized. Not just in body, but in heart and in head, into the Spirit of God, God the Holy Spirit. He calls for them to have an active gospel imagination to renew their minds about everything, everything they think, how they act, who they accept, and what their vision of what is good and true and beautiful is. We also see in the dynamic here, he recognizes the way of empire and governments, the way to use and work within the system at the whole time subverting it. He's not here to reform systems. He's not here to create the perfect government. He navigates it, but his allegiance is to a total different government with that. His allegiance, his affections, his affiliations all have a singular focus. <sighs> And it cost him everything. Because we see this message is not met with a warm embrace. But instead with riotous self-justification, demonizing, and murderous, murderous um, anger. Cost him everything, but Paul is assured that it will gain him so much more. Last Sunday night, a group of us got together and we watched the movie uh, Just Mercy, which I encourage you, if you haven't watched it yet, to go watch it. It's free on a number of platforms. And it tells the story of a young, naive, idealistic lawyer, Brian Stevenson, who takes up the, the case of Walter McMillan and many others on sitting on death row who have not had adequate representation, not had their stories told. The justice system has worked against them, and they sit waiting execution. And that last scene, I'm going to get a spoiler alert. I'm going to give the, the movie away. 
uh, but you'll probably see it coming anyway, is when Brian Stevenson goes in and he argues with the judge for the release of Walter McMillan, his client. Now, it's interesting. Why does this appeal to us so much emotionally? Why does it make good cinema, but also a great story? Well, it's because of what Brian argues for his client. You see, he doesn't argue that McMillan be released because what he's accused of really wasn't that bad. You know, you ought to let him go because this crime, it's really not that bad. No, he, do, he doesn't do that. He doesn't argue that McMillan be released because the laws have changed. Like, well, that was the law then, this is the law. No, he, he doesn't do that. He doesn't argue that McMillan be released because he's, you know what? He's pretty much a good guy. Like, we ought to look at this guy. He's a good guy. He doesn't need to be on death row. No, he, he doesn't argue that he ought to be released because he's a good guy. And he sure doesn't do the argument like, well, who are you to judge? Like, we should just let everybody do what they want. Don't cast the first stone. Don't judge unless you be judged. No, he doesn't argue any of that. He argues, he says, no, uphold the law. What he's arguing is that the law that they claim to uphold, the court and the sheriff and the prison, they're saying, you're the lawless ones. You're the ones who haven't followed your own rules. You are the ones who proclaim to be right, to be righteous, but you're not. Just as Paul calls out the Sanhedrin and says, you whitewashed, rotted walls. Brian Stevenson in the movie basically says the same thing. He says, you claim to be for justice, yet this man who is not guilty, according to your laws, sits here condemned. He's not arguing that we give him a pass because he's a good guy. He's not arguing to give him a pass because we shouldn't judge other people or have values or have laws. No, he's saying live up to what you proclaim. And that's why we get so emotionally involved, because all of us want that. We want that justice to be done. Well, Paul is doing the same thing here. It, what he demands is not new justice or special justice, but equal justice, true justice. Paul is doing the same thing for the Gentiles that Brian Stevenson did for Walter McMillan, and, and Paul is doing it for us. The problem is, as we do this, it uncovers and exposes what is really going on. It uncovers and exposes the deep prejudices we have the depth of our greed, of our, of our need to control. Uh, it, it uncovers the, the magnitude of the oppression that we perpetuate through our systems, even unknowingly. It exposes our sin, not just sin in others, but sin in us. You see, bearing witness is a call that often costs us. It costs us in our outward relationship, but it also costs us in the deep work that we have to do in ourselves. And it's costing many of us personally as we engage with 
coming to see the need for justice to be done for our brothers and sisters of color, to see the systems of oppression and injustice brought down, to live up to our ideals, to live up to what we say we are as a country, as a church, as a people with that. It's costing us that. And so I want to ask us, I want to, I want to just, as we, as we kind of wrap up here, what is sustaining you? What is sustaining us during this time? Because this, this can be an overwhelming time. I'm trusting that everybody listening to this, everybody engaged in this is doing work. That you're bearing witness faithfully. That you're laying down prejudices and preconceived ideas and habit patterns and ways of thinking. And that you're listening and that you are open to the change of the Holy Spirit. But that can, be, that can be demanding work emotionally, physically, relationally. And so I want to ask what's sustaining you during this time. Uh, when I calm down enough to listen, when I hear what the Lord is saying, what am, what am I hearing? What are you hearing here? Can, consider the places where you find comfort. Are they healthy? Or are they bringing you to light? Or are they just reinforcing the status quo. Where are you finding comfort and encouragement? These are, as I said, trying times. As, as you know, we're we're in the process of selling the, the property 2828 to free us up to more effectively uh, orient ourselves towards where we want to be as a church, where we want to grow. And we're also physically separated. And this is really hard. It's really hard on me personally uh, not to be able to be physically present and talk through and just be with you, my friends. It's hard. But I did hear a message the other day that brought me up short, something I wrote about in a letter to the church this past week. <clears throat> and the message was this. It says, please stop saying these are dark times. No, it's been dark for so long. The light is breaking in. As you are listening for those sources of encouragement, those voices of encouragement, be assured the light is breaking in. That the kingdom of God is not caught off guard by this. God is not wringing God's hands in heaven. Oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. God, God is in this and working through this. And so I want to encourage you to lean in. I want to encourage you to lean in by continuing to participate on Sunday mornings here and also in the study that we have coming up um, on race class and the kingdom of God. It kicks off this week. Uh, information will be coming out soon on that. Um, I just had a chance to spend an hour with uh, one of the main designers of that curriculum, uh, David Bailey, yesterday. It was, a, it was a great opportunity to further get to hear about that. It's going to be I think it's going to be a fantastic way of practically funneling uh, our energy towards being a more reconciling community with that. So lean in, participate here. Also, we, we got to have your giving. I mean, look, we run a super lean staff. There's no part-time or there's no full-timers at Grace. Y'all know that there's three of us part-time on here who are helping do this as well as the volunteers who, who take nothing. Um, but we still have to take care of the building, even though we've shut it down as much as possible until we sell it. We have that responsibility. 
Um, but that's an investment in the future because hopefully that will realize um, uh, resources for us to, to move to the next step. So please, please consider continuing to financially give. And then <clears throat> I want to ask you also to continue to connect with each other in meaningful ways. If you can't be together physically, text, call, email, write, reach out. Um, I know I need it. I need it. So don't, uh, don't isolate yourself. Continue to connect in the ways that are available. Friends, we need this time to allow us to draw closer to each other and to the kingdom of God. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we commit ourselves more faithfully, more fully to his message, it is going to cost us. But we need to remember that there is no cost. God will never be in our debt. God will never be in our debt. There is no cost that we will suffer. That God will, himself will not reward. So we see this now as we take this time for reflection and for offering and for communion. I hope you have your elements together. Um, when talking about cost, I think there's no, probably no greater demonstration of that when Jesus gathered with his disciples on that last night. He didn't give them platitudes. He didn't give them a slogan. He gave them himself. He gave them something to do. He said, this is my body broken. You want to remember Jesus, remember the broken body. Remember the sacrifice of his witness. Remember what it cost Jesus to reconcile us. So that as we do the work of reconciliation, we know that we're not doing it alone and we're not doing it first. So take the broken body and then take the cup, his blood poured out, making a way for us to be fully reconciled and take and eat and drink. Commit to what the Lord is showing you. Commit to what the Spirit is showing you. Bear witness faithfully. Do the work and be encouraged. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.